0: Well, good morning. It's a real blessing, real blessing to be here this morning. I invite you to stand. Let's go before the Lord once again and ask for his blessing and anointing as we continue through this time to serve him and minister unto him. And uh, the beautiful thing is that as we gather in the name of Jesus, he also sends his word and his spirit to fill us that we may also grow in him. But our primary purpose here this morning is to serve and honor Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the privilege of being gathered here. Father, we thank you and marvel always at the fact that because of the cross and because of the purposefulness of what you have done by sending Jesus to die for us, O Lord, you pull us from different backgrounds, personalities, and experiences, and all that falls away, O God, as our testimony of where we came from fades into the testimony of who you are. Father God, we thank you so very much for that transformation that you bring us through. Through circumstances, through uh, enablings, Lord, through faith, through the Word of God washing us. All of these things, but mostly through the power of your Spirit as being born again. Your seed is in us and begins to grow. And Father God, we pray that we will give full access. Your Word of God tells us that you are commanding us to, to rid ourselves of things that would hinder us, that we may be vessels of greater honor in your house. But Lord, the work is yours. Father God, the, the advancement is yours. The time of revelation is yours. The ability to overcome is to your glory and honor. And Father, in that day when we stand before you collectively, no man is going to boast. But God, all of our praise, honor, and thankfulness will lay squarely on you and your Son, Jesus. Father, again, we thank you for the blessing and the privilege to be here. And uh, God, in the name of Christ, we ask that you will continue to mature us to where we need to be, to be greater vessels for your kingdom work. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, and you, you may be seated. Well, it is a blessing to be here. Thank you so much for uh, the privilege of... Of coming and, and fellowshipping with you, and not only fellowshipping, but also being able to open God's word and to share what God is is showing and, and what God's uh, heartbeat is. And I will share that in our congregation. I've been uh, teaching a series uh, a series entitled uh, "Hungering and Thirsting After the Word of God." So I thought it was a wonderful opening this morning, and and even uh, even the children's class. Hungering and thirsting for the Word of God. Something different than just reading the Word of God. I think we all have who have walked in the Lord any period of time we know the difference between doing our time of devotion and actually uh being in a place to, to touch the heart of the Master. Now our walk is not about feelings, it's about uh faith and obedience. And I think many times, especially in our American culture, we, we equate our experience with feelings and it doesn't really it doesn't really fare that way. Yet at the same time, we serve a God who cares about how we feel. He cares about those things that happen within our hearts. But I think that in many cases, our hunger and thirst for the Word of God makes all the difference. All the difference in when we go to the Word, why we go to the Word, why we go to prayer. You know, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life, right? And when the God Spirit is in us, there's no sin and things are open and we're staying before the Lord now. I will say this. Sometimes God brings us through deserts. He purposes that if there is nothing that is uh, unconfessed in our lives, then God has a purpose that in the end will glorify Him more. But when we have a hunger and a thirst for God's Word and we, we come to a place where we say, I won't accept the fact that my heart and relationship to Jesus is really quite dead and ritualistic then God will in time bring us through the circumstances we need to rekindle that hunger and that thirst, that, that desire. You know, when we're hungry, you know, the Bible says the one who hungers will, will work harder, you know, if, if he knows that his hunger is going to be satisfied through the work that he does. God's desire is for us to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now, I also want to say that in this series that I did on this hungering and thirsting, we went through a period of time where... Uh, where we were looking at some of the things that hinder, not, not the feeling of hungering and thirsting, but for the truth. Now, we don't want to just have a hunger and thirst. The zeal is good, but even Paul gave witness that the Jews were zealous, but without knowledge, and that's fruitless. But we have to hunger and thirst for the truth, right? Hunger and thirst for God's Word and what those things mean and how we apply them, and there are enemies to that. But I want to give a challenge here because uh, in in our home congregation about a, year, a half, year and a half ago or so, and I won't do it here because I don't in any way want to draw any attention or, or maybe steal away attention, but I had asked in the last year by a show of hands, how many of you have taken the time to do a thorough search of the Word of God on any issue to know why and what God would have us believe on any topic at all? And I will sadly say that uh, no one raised their hands. Now, I don't know about you, but I want you to think a moment. In the last year, I mean really saying, God, I want to know your heart. I don't want a book, and I don't want to listen to some series by somebody. I need to know your will. And opening the Word of God and and searching through and everything you can find. In the last six months, I asked who, and I said, in the last six months, how many of you have done that? thorough search of God's word on it and we did have one sister that raised her hand. See the issue is that we live in a day and age where we gather and glean our information and qualify it by something very different than a thorough search of the word. Now maybe you all are in a much different place maybe than the rest of our Anabaptist uh, brothers and sisters but realistically many of us fail in the area of, uh, of seeking God's truth based on primary text. And the reason why we don't is because we don't hunger and thirst for it. We don't hunger to know God in the way that He wants us to. Now, certainly, I'm not in any way trying to to bring uh, guilt and shame, but conviction is a good thing if it's from the Holy Spirit. We are the most educated people in the world. Now, statistically, we're not the smartest in the world, but we are the most educated. We have more access to the Word of God than almost anywhere in the world. In fact, for many years, God used America to flood the rest of the world with Bibles, with the Word of God. It still happens today. I don't know if we are the primary anymore or not. I didn't see. There is no problem with having the Word of God. The issue is, what do we do with this Word? I will go on to even say this. Pentecostalism is spreading like wildfire in a lot of the uh, Latin countries and in other parts of the world and I would dare say, although I don't know for sure, a lot of the supernatural gifts that they seek after and do receive, although I don't believe they're from the, the, uh, the Holy Spirit, is a primary result of people who are not educated to be able to read the Word of God and to discern truth. So instead, they want an experience with God to validate that He cares about them. Now, I know we're not going to seek after gifts this morning, but I want to ask, and I want to make this statement. In the vacuum of our hungering and thirsting after word of the Word of God, other things begin to take that place. It may not be the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but other things will to help us feel better about where we are at with God. So I'm challenging us all this morning, where is your hunger level for the Word of God? Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Just setting a little bit of a tone uh, because, again, I, I think I preached four messages on this. And I'm going to boil it all down to one. So, I'm, oh, you poor folks, I feel bad for you. I think one of the things that concerns me the most are the issues that draw us away. We serve a Father who calls us and walks with us. Any of us who have children, you know you love your children. Your desire is to walk with them and pull them along. Sometimes you bring the rod. You know, David said, thy rod and thy staff comfort me. Well, certainly... That's the case, but you know, our God draws us. He wants us more. He wants us closer by His side. That's, that's the God I serve. He longs to be with us. That's why He sent His Son to reconcile us. It's the very nature of God when it relates to humankind, to to mankind, to you and me. And based on that premise, then we want to hear God and walk in His ways, not out of guilt, not out of fear, but out of a loving heart to please Him. And so, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, very should be a f- very familiar scripture, uh, looking at verses uh, 14 through 16. And let me just say this, actually, if you look through this passage, and I, again, I'm going to boil it all down. I don't want to belabor the uh, wrong emphasis here this morning. Very powerful scripture. Uh, let me just say this, verse 14 tells us what we shouldn't be focusing on. You know, one of the things that helps us to focus on what is right is to stop focusing on the things that aren't right. God's Word gives us a lot of things to put off in order to put on the things that matter. And that's very important principle to actually preach the whole message on that issue. Not making major things out of minors. We do it all the time. Make the center of our conversation. Well, should I vaccinate or shouldn't I vaccinate? You know, I think there's something going on with the government trying to kill all the people and we should... Should we eat organic or shouldn't we eat organic? You know, this makes a big difference. Let's talk about this. We can go on and on on things. Should we homeschool or shouldn't we homeschool? Should we or shouldn't we? And I'm being a little sarcastic. I'm not saying these issues aren't important. But sometimes they are too important in relationship to where we're at in this world where people are dying without Jesus. And we need to make sure that we do... Focus on what God wants. Anyway, sorry, on verses 14 through 16. Look what it says. Remind them of these things. It's referencing what's prior. And you can look at that later. And Solomon charged them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Now, the context here would be really good, but I'm not going to go there now. But look at this. Here's what we put on. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who need not be ashamed uh, uh, accurately handling or divide, excuse me, dividing <clears throat> the word of God, the word of truth. And then verse 16 gives us another example where it says, but avoiding worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. Put off this, put on this, put off this, and then he gives an example and he brings it back to what to put on again in this particular context. Study to show thyself approved unto God as a workman who need not be ashamed. The work of the ministry is oftentimes we think it's the people who are ordained in the particular work of the church. But, you know, the Bible says something very different. The Bible says, for God has, and he he gives the list, teachers and preachers and so forth, to equip the church for the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is done outside of this place. The church house is a place of equipping, encouraging, and building one another up. The work of the ministry, the call of the ministry is in each one of our hands when we leave this place. How do we minister God's Word if we're not students of it? That's why the Holy Spirit says exactly this. That we are to be students of God's Word. But of course, it needs to be from the heart. We're not talking about trying to make more Bible studies. We're talking about people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Every program in the world will never produce a hunger for God. But a little hunger will produce so much of what we seek for and why. There's a difference. That difference, that peace right there is a blessing from God. And it's what the what personal revival is made of. Now, two of the most wicked, these aren't the only two, but two of the most wicked tools in Satan's arsenal to keep us from focusing on correct things our spiritual sensuality—I'm and I'm going to tell you what that is—and spiritual hardness. These are distractions. These are things that get us in the wrong direction. And I—I I I wish I, you don't want to be here for about six hours. I know you don't. So I would, especially the ladies. I'm not going to look at you. The guys will be like, "Amen, brother, preach it, preach it." <laughs> and the ladies are like, "Yeah, we have all the children, the little ones." Okay. So turn with me if you would. Second Peter chapter two. I just want to take a quick glimpse at uh, at these two. Uh, extremes. Now, let me just say this, especially for uh, no, not especially, for it's for all of us. Satan in our culture does not come out and do a direct assault against us. Okay, we are not persecuted. At least, I'm not. We don't have uh, hardships that make us pray and need our daily bread. Maybe you do, but I'll be honest, I do not. I thank the Lord for my bread, but I don't seek him for it we live in the wealthiest nation in the world we are the wealthiest mennonites in the world we got to be honest about it we are what we are and we need to respond biblically to that truth but what satan does is is he likes to join us in a spot where he can draw us out young people i will tell you this this is satan's greatest plot is to meet you in the area of either sensuality or, whole, or hardness and draw you out by building a partnership with you, a hybrid of entertained Christianity or hard Christianity. And again, I can't get into it all, but I just want to tell you, I want you to be aware of this. So, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, uh, we see Peter giving an example which you will find in many places in Scripture about the whole idea of being being led away with sensuality. It talks uh, elsewhere about uh, building teachers uh, to yourself who will tickle your ears. But look what it says, and, and we need to take heed to this. And it says, but false prophets also arose among the people. He's looking in the past. In the past, they rose among the people. Just as there also will be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Destructive heresies are not always things that you know are in absolute opposition to the teaching you have. But they are hybrids that join themselves. And if any of you are in agriculture, I'm not saying GMOs are bad or any of that stuff, the hybrid stuff. But to join with you and create something a little bit different, to dilute to slightly shift and begin a small path. You know, it's interesting when, when NASA or whatever groups are attached to them now shoot a, a rocket off, whether they're taking supplies or whatever, there are uh, constant directions coming from ground control on, on adjusting the uh, coordinates of that of that rocket, so much so that they approach almost 500 communications a second. 500 a second! 500 a second. So you say, why so much communication? Because they know that the slightest little bend right here will make a, an eternal difference in where that rocket goes. When you're dealing with space that's that large, a little variation that's not corrected will send something way off of the mark. Satan knows that as well. So if we, don't, if we, aren't, if we aren't constantly tweaking the direction that we're walking in the Lord and making sure that it's biblical and heartfelt and honest, Satan says... Hey listen, let's talk about let's talk about something a little bit different. Let's just get you off a little bit, because by the time you die, you'll be way off the mark. Doesn't seem big now, doesn't seem like a problem now. And I'll tell you one of the things that just an illustration I, I that uh goes along with this, you know, when you if you're in the middle of summer or something and you go to get a drink, uh, you know, maybe an iced tea, a sweet tea or whatever your whatever your choice is. And uh, one of the things that always bothers me is they pack that thing full of ice, and then they give you the drink. and And you're so thirsty, you drink it down, and then you have all this ice, you know. And I don't know if you're an ice cruncher or not an ice cruncher, but we should split the church over that issue because that's a good one. Do you crunch or don't you crunch? And who do you bother while you're crunching? And see, the thing is, is that when you're done, you have this big bucket of ice, especially if it's one of them big ones, right? And the thing is, is that if you reach in there and pull out an ice cube, and you say, is there anything wrong with this? They're like, no, it's just an ice cube. Is there anything wrong with this? Well, not technically, not really. Is there anything wrong with this? No, not really. But see, the problem is it's the collective presence of all of those things in our lives that keep the Holy Spirit and the work of God minimized. See, we've got to be honest. If you look at one area of our lives, that's not a big deal. We look at That's it, not a big deal. But it's that collective presence of all of those things that does not allow God the room that He deserves. Are you following me? And busyness and materialism and all these things are part of those ice cubes. Anyway, so it says they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their, look what it says, sensuality. You can look at the context later. Sensuality is an issue. Now, when we think sensuality, we might be thinking of something different than what could very well be part of the text. Entertainment is sensuality. And I'm just going to share this, that I feel that Christian, uh, hmm, stuff that's called Christian in music and in videos and in all of these things are a hybrid that are evangelists. To get us off the mark. If you can't say amen, say ouch. Listen, it's hard. We live in a culture that says compromise with me, compromise with me. And I'm not so worried about the world and its onslaught, brothers and sisters. I'm worried about the fallen church. We know their lifestyles. Well, you know, I'm not trying to say all, it's us and them only. That's not what I'm saying this morning. But I will tell you this. Just like, just like, um, oh, who is it that, um, who was the evangelist that was preaching, preaching uh, John the Baptist, baptism only? What the? And Priscilla and Aquila came and preached, uh, shared the gospel with them more accurately. Who is that man? Help me. Huh? Apollos, yes. A heart, no matter where they're at in the sea of Christianity, a heart after God will listen to the Word of God and they will respond just like Apollos. Priscilla and Aquila preached more accurately the way and he responded. We need to be the influencers. We don't need to be worrying about what's influencing us. Folks, we just have to have our eyes fixed on Jesus. Let's be bringing the truth of the rest of the Word to Christianity and draw them in. Amen? Come on. We're not some side culture. Folks, are we walking in biblical obedience? Or are we just trying to be our own little bubble people? I didn't call you bubble people. Don't, don't Please don't. I'm not trying to offend you. But you know what I'm saying. I think too often we look in the mirror and we say, oh, we're, we're kind of like anabaptist the uh, mennonite uh, whatever we are-y. Right? And we say, that's our culture and they're not going to accept us. I... No way, folks. If we're walking after Jesus Christ, let's share the truth. The evangelicals have done a wonderful job at the first part of the Great Commission, which is to make disciples of all nations, right? Then it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Brothers and sisters, I'm not trying to, I don't want in any way make your head big or small, but God help us to be here because God blessed us to be here because of doctrine. But do we own that doctrine? Do we own that peace and say, this is truth for all men and women? It's for all. This is not a Mennonite culture or Anabaptist culture, right? This is God's heartbeat. Hungering and thirsting after the Word will take us places. But sensuality, spiritual Christian sensuality will draw us away. It will blunt that edge. It will blunt that edge. One side of the sharpening is the Word of God and the other one is a hungering. The Word of God and a hunger. A Word of God and a hunger. Those two things make a mighty powerful sword for God. May God fill us with those two things. But it takes something going away in order to facilitate it. The next is spiritual hardness. I want you to turn with me, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And i got to pick up the pace, or we will be here for six hours. (laughs) 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Real quick, this is dealing with... This is dealing with some of the Judaizers, and we know Paul had a real struggle with the Corinthian people, and there was a lot of different issues that they dealt with. Not on, not on uh, all that uh, different than us today, in the things that that come after us. But the Judaizers, you know, they were really hard. They were law preachers, and they were false. They were wrong. But I want to talk about the just real quick about the spirit of hardness. Sometimes one of the things that distracts us from the truth of God is a um, is. So you have one group that goes after sensualize this. This feels good. It tickles my ears. It entertains me. I really like it. It's so powerful. I want to cry. <laughs> and over here, you have to, the harder it is, the harder it whacks me in the face, the more it goes against every single thing. My flesh has got to be God. But, you know, that's not always true. Do you know that? In fact, in my home congregation, I took them through an Old Testament uh, example and a New Testament silence on why inside plumbing is unscriptural. I had a lot of smiles, but you do a study on, in fact, it's commanded to the children of Israel exactly how to take care of that type of business. And I said, if you're going to serve God, this is how you're going to walk. And they kind of smiled at me like you are, but uh, I expected that I, I didn't want to do an altar call for them to repent of their indoor plumbing. But it is very clear there is nothing in the New Testament stating, and there's a tremendous amount of direction in the Old Testament giving us light. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's right. And, uh, doesn't mean it's for today. But here's my point. I know you're gonna be like, I, right, what in the world is this guy? John is probably going, oh, why did I invite this guy to preach again? So, Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18, just look at, I just wanna, I just wanna jump in and jump right out of this. Since many boast according to the flesh, Paul's saying, these guys are among you, these false brethren, they are boasting and bragging. He said, I'll boast also. Elsewhere he goes, I speak as a fool. He's like, I'm going to have to speak on your language level, is what he's trying to say. And he says, for you being so wise, he's being sarcastic, tolerate foolishness gladly. Then he gives an example to them. For you tolerate if anyone enslaves you, anyone devours you, anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself, anyone hits you in the face. What is he talking about? He's talking about these hard law pushers and they are not the evidence of the things of God. And then he says, to my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison. The apostle Paul appearing weak. Woo! They must have been mighty hard. I want to just challenge a little bit and jump out of this just because it is as hard as can be. Just because, And there's sometimes we get in a rut where we hunger after the hardest things we can that really are amiss of the things that deserve our obedience. Jesus and His Word, whatever He asks, whatever it means, whatever sacrifice it entails, let's do it. But let's be wise and not jump on the bandwagon of sacrificing and giving our energy to things that do not really matter eternally and we're not asked of God just because they're hard. Any more than we want to give it to something just because it feels right. We need to neither turn left or right and stay based on the Word. But we won't know how to walk if we're not students of the Word. There is one other method that Satan used, and this is where I want to focus a little bit more this morning, and that is on philosophy. Now, we know there's a Scripture, I didn't reference it, but it talks about staying away from philosophy. And one of the prevailing philosophies in our culture is relativism. Now, when I talk about relativism, I'm not talking about your great-aunt and your uncle at the family gatherings. Relativism, if you boil it down, is that there really is no truth. Well, not really that there is no truth, because that's too assaulting. There is multiple t- truths. In fact, there's lots of truths. We discern it by our, our vantage point. You know, I like the idea if you have six or seven blind uh, blindfolded people, and, and you have an elephant in the room. You know, we always like to talk about the elephant in the room and one one's, one's touching its tail, and the other one's touching its ear, and one's touching its trunk, and they try to verbalize to each other what it is that they are experiencing. And, and each one has a different vantage point. We say, well, each one's vantage point is truth. No, it's not. Each one's vantage point is only a piece of the truth. So you don't say, well, okay, your truth is just as valid as his truth, because unfortunately some people are not grabbing the foot of the cross in the stuff that they're trying to discern what's truthful. Boy, I, you know this music really moves me. It feels so right. This is the Lord. Oh, really? Take the blinders off. And let's look what it's uh, what it's grounded in. So we have to be biblical in our approach. We need to go beyond what our initial responses are and go on to the full truth. Everyone goes, "Oh, wow! It's an elephant." Okay, so it is. Together we discern, like the Bereans, right? And we uh, we we're, we want to be more noble-minded. We want to search the scriptures to see is this true, is this you God? But see, we won't do that in a busy, hurried world where we don't hunger to know. I want to go home to lunch. Can we just get past this? I don't mean the message. You know, I kind of you know my children. We're getting kind of. Can we can we have something else? And we we drop off way too quickly. So this morning, I want to do something that's really going to stretch y'all. And I'm gonna I'm gonna look at you men for a minute because I'm not gonna. I'm going to look at you, and I want, to, I want to do an exercise, not a physical one, please. I don't want to do that for you. Although oh, the one young lady was jumping around there. That was good. Um, I want to do an exercise that I have done for about 25 years. And, uh, and, and the heartbeat behind doing this exercise is to talk about and illustrate biblical relativism, which is false. It is a false teaching. But I need you men... I need your interaction this morning. You're going to have to speak out. If you don't, we will be here for six hours, okay? So I'll just give you a little bit of a warning here. So I'm just going to tell you something here this morning. Now, this is where where Brian goes, oh, no, why did I invite him? I'm going to tell you this morning I'm a homosexual and I'm a Christian. Is that okay? Well, you guys are really, really unloving. You say it's not okay. Hold on. You can tell these... These poor things are old here. Why? 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 Why is that not okay? It does. Where does it say that? Come on, Bible scholars. I want you to tell me. We come from the Boston area. We've been down here a long time now, 15 years, I think, but There's a lot of homosexuals there, and I want to tell you something. This isn't about homosexuality. This is about what is true and what is not, okay? This is just an example. But, uh, you know, up there, a lot of opportunities where folks, oh, we love each other, and, you know, we're born again, and we, we love the Lord. So, I want you to tell me, where does it say that? And do me a favor. Please don't go to the Old Testament. We are under grace. We are not under law. Read it nice and loud. If you're there, read it for us. Hmm. Does anybody else have another passage? Yes, sir. I think you men have grudges against my, my type of people. Do you say that that's wrong? Do you say that, that, that those scriptures say that it's wrong for me to be able to say I'm a, a born-again Christian and a homosexual, practicing homosexual? Is that what you're telling me? Is that what you men are telling me? Yes. Well, I picked the wrong church this morning. I'm just going to tell you that that's just your opinion. That's just your opinion. That's that right? Come on, man. What's your opinion? <laughs> My opinion is it's all right. God loves everybody. Amen. Does not, not judge not, be not judged. Yep, that's right. So we're all in agreement. Amen. You better hurry up or I might have to ask the lady to help you out. And I know it's not appropriate this morning, but that's just your opinion. And you are so narrow-minded. It's the way you were brought up. You guys are so conservative. We feel bad for you. We feel bad for you. Come on. I need some argument. I need some discussion. Come on. Just shout out. It's okay this morning. Huh? Yeah, but that's, but that's just your opinion of, of it. Yeah. It says, uh, yeah. And Judas, uh, you know, Judas bought a field and hung himself. Am I supposed to do that as well? Okay, well, let me, let me go a little bit deeper because I want to help you this morning. All right, I want to help you out. I think it's just your interpretation of Scripture. I, I agree that it is the Word of God, but I also believe that it's your interpretation of it because you have rose-colored glasses on. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and accelerate this a little bit. Not only is it just your particular, uh, your, uh, particular interpretation. That's a mouthful. It was just cultural, and this just happens to reflect your culture as well. You poor folks, what do you know? How do you know it's not reflecting your culture? <laughs> well, I, I, I knew you would say that. I have another paper for you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so here's how we discern this. This is how we discern this. This is how we discern it. I want you to know. I know you all can't see that maybe, but it doesn't really matter because I don't feel led. I don't feel led to change. I don't feel led to, you know, I don't feel led that it's wrong. I've asked God and I believe He accepts me the way I am and I believe that it's all good. I have the witness of the Holy Spirit or whatever. This is a very real conversation that I've had. Conversations. Come on, man, because you're not convincing me of much right now. Huh? Huh? Well, I know it's the Lord. I pray in the name of Jesus. I read the same Bible that you do. Let me bring it to this point. Can't we just ignore this this one area? Can't we just ignore this one area and be be brothers? Or are you going to be so narrow-minded that you're going to separate yourself from me over this issue? Listen. I believe it's your interpretation. I prayed to the Lord. I know it was cultural, and uh, and I don't feel led. And I've asked God, and can't we just love the Lord? Very common, very common issues. You know, when we look at homosexuality in particular, it's very easy to see how someone would justify themselves—a very real justification. And I talked to someone this week, and I really, I, you know, I didn't real, I didn't know that it's not as if it's a big surprise. But yet, we have to take notice to it that in Mennonite USA. Uh, you know, they ordained their first uh, lesbian uh, minister in in a church somewhere. I don't know much details. That's not why I did this, because I've been doing this for 25 years. The s- truth is the truth no matter where it hits and what's going on around us. Okay? And so I think that for, for, uh, for here, at least I, I sure hope so, I hope this is not going to be an issue of discussing this. But that series of justification is the issue the way in which this person justifies how they come out different than what the word of god asked is our issue now often uh or many times when i have the opportunity to speak elsewhere because that's my one of my heartbeats is uh especially if i have an opportunity to speak somewhere where the ladies do not cover i do this exact same thing i say what about the head covering well where does it say that well that's just your opinion That's just your interpretation. Oh, that was just cultural. But I don't feel led. And I always challenge them with the same truth. Are we people of the Word of God or is there something else that is leading the way in which we decide what we do and how we will do it? And you you, you know it's dead silent when we do this because they're caught. But they're not caught because I'm trying to trap them. The Word of God, when it's laid out this way, traps all of our hearts, doesn't it? Are we people who are walking by the book? What about the area of modesty? I'm not talking about pushing the limits. I'm talking about walking carefully. What about the area of self-denial? Well, God, you know, if you just tell me, I'll walk in hey, whatever you want is yours. Justification, justification. What about forgiveness? What about love not the world and the specificnesses, specificness that that could bring? Here's a good one. What about submission to authority? What about submission to authority? Well, I don't really feel led. What about materialism? My point here in doing this little bit of exercise is, is that it's very easy to see why the homosexual person can justify themselves under the Word of God, but are we just as quick to see how we justify ourselves under the Word of God? The issue may not be the same, but the process is, if we have given ourselves and our minds to that whole relativism uh, philosophy. And I will, I will boil it down to this primarily, our feelings are our greatest instructors. No man seeks God, no not one. Satan knows that, and if he knows that we are not children who sit under the word of God, and I don't mean just coming from the pulpit, I mean as people, you know, it says, study to show thyself approved as a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God, word of truth. That injunction is not for your leaders, for all of us, all of us, together. Relativism, biblical relativism, is a deception. And for the record, uh, I had many vices, but this was not one of them. I just want to make sure I tell you that this morning. I want you to turn with me, if you would, to 2 Kings, chapter 22. I want to look at King Josiah. Remember, he was just a young fellow. In fact, we named our Josiah after that. And I'm sure anyone else here that has someone named Josiah probably had that in view. Godly man in a whole... He, he, started, he was actually... He was uh, entitled to the throne. 2 Kings 22. He was entitled to the throne, but he was too young to take it. And so he was under caregivers for a long time. But he broke a series of kings who were godless. In fact, he's a bright spot in the midst of things. What made Josiah different? I don't want to tear that apart to try to see that, but let me just tell you this. One of the things that made the difference was the way in which he responded to the word of God. So we know he was young. But then when he was 18, there was some building project that was going on. And and something took place. And uh, if you would look with me, starting at verse 8, I want to read a portion here and talk about a few things. And then we're going to come back to this portion of Scripture. It says, Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found a book of the law. They had gone into the temple to gather the money. And so he said, I found... The book of the law in the house of the Lord. I found it. Oh, whoops, what's that? Oh, that's the book of the law. We know this was a backslidden people. And Hilkiah gave the book to to, to Shaphan who read it. Shaphan the scribe came to the king and he brought back word to the king and he said, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered into the hand of the workmen who had the oversight of the house of the Lord. Moreover, Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkinah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. Then the king heard the words of the book of the law. He tore his clothes. He tore his clothes. Verse 13. He immediately set the king to action. He says, Go inquire of the Lord for me and the people in all Judea concerning the words of this book that was, that has been found for great is the wrath of the Lord that burns against us because our fathers have not listened to the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. I think it's very fitting when we talk about hungering and thirsting after the word of truth that we, that we look at this story. See, our issue today, as I said earlier, is not that we don't have the word of God. The issue today is, is that we do not study the word of God. In fact, so much so, I think it would be almost as if it would be the same surprise as when they found this scroll in the midst of, their house, of the house of the Lord, as it is to find someone who is studying diligently in order to know the heart of the Lord. I think it's just as rare to find that today. You don't have to say any, anything, but I'll say ouch. Because I know that that is a truth. It's not that we don't have the Word of God. It's not that we're not educated enough. It's not that we don't have an easy enough to understand translation or books to help us understand it. The issue is, is that we are asleep in Zion. We are asleep in Zion and something else is driving our direction. That will vary from congregation to con- congregation and from home to home. But... If we're only doing devotion, and as fathers in particular, we're not students of the Word of God, I am telling you, something else is driving your direction or hemming you in. If we were to remove all standards and expectations this morning, where would you go? What would you do? What would you watch? What would you listen to? What would you read? How would you act and what would you place your money upon? What direction would you go? I'm going to share some this morning. John may get me afterwards for this. But it doesn't matter what your standards of expectation are. What is it that God is showing you? Young people, don't ask for someone to teach you what you believe. Tell us what God believes. Certainly, God has raised up teachers and pastors for watchfulness. That's very necessary. That's not what I'm trying to say. Inner revival based on the Word of God is far more powerful than hemming people in with ideas and rules. I'm not against having standards and understanding. That's not what I'm saying at all. Very interesting, in Chicago, there's a museum I never went to, but an acquaintance of mine had gone, and it's a barbed wire museum. And one of the things that he brought back from in his mind that stood out to him is that when barbed wire was introduced, they had a slogan at one time that said, barbed wire will single-handedly eradicate the need for the cowboy. Well, yeah, it's true. If you, if you string up barbed wire, you don't need a cowboy to keep the cows in line, I guess. I'm, forgive me if I'm stepping on anybody's, I don't know anything about cows, hardly. And, uh, but I will tell you this as well. Lots and lots and lots of rules single-handedly remove the need for a relationship to God based on the Word. But that's not real. That's not what God's trying to do. Again, I'm not saying we shouldn't have understandings. And rules especially for those who are weak and immature. But brothers and sisters, that's not where we stay. Do we all push up against the barbed wire as close as we can and grab the grass from the other side? Or are we people who say, God, whatever you want, whatever it means, just show me. Father, I will sacrifice all for you. Father God, here I am at your disposal. Help me to be a vessel of honor for you. That, my friends, is what the early Anabaptist movement and the early church movement was all about. We need to find our roots again. I'm not preaching down to you because I don't know, you all might be the holiest saints in all of Lebanon County. I don't know. But what I'm saying, maybe I'm preaching myself. But I am telling you, this is the type of thing that we need to bring out to others. Talk about having a conviction for truth and walking after what is right. There is a huge gap within our Anabaptist circles. I'm not concerned about other groups right now. But in between having the word of God and the ability to read it and actually putting that into practice because our hunger and thirst lacks. You'll remember at the beginning when we opened up, I took us to 2 Timothy 2:15, 14 through 16. I Study to show thyself approved unto God as a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth it is essential that we remember that almost everything that we do in our Christian walks, everything that we do, every practice that we have and every belief that we have is shaped by what we think. And the Word of God is there to teach us to know Him thoroughly, to obey Him accurately, to present Him truthfully and to discern error definitively. Hosea 4, 6 says, My people perish for a lack of what? Knowledge. We live in an age that says it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. There is a God-blessed bubble anointing for newborn babes who sincerely desire the milk of the word. We know that. But God forbid that we stay in that little bubble. God calls us to go beyond that and to mature and to meet of God's word and become go from babes, from children to young men to fathers. That's spiritually. imagine a 40-year-old imagine a who just drinks milk. Wow, that'd be quite the sight. Yet spiritually, I think, in a lot of ways we are there. And I'm not speaking down to you, but it is the plague of our day, under, undergirded by materialism. Being busy, wrong focus, no hunger for the word, and relativism. These philosophies are destroying our influence that God would have us to do. We say to ourselves that this idea feels good. We're okay with it, but the reality is the Bible tells us just the opposite. How we feel doesn't matter. It's the way that it seems right to a man, and his end is what death. death. That's not just for the world. That's for us. If we do not validate what we do by the word of God, it will lead us wrong. Ignorance is not bliss for the unbeliever or for the believer. I want to show you just that. I'm going to give you a little nugget. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Now, remember, all your T's are together. Timothy, Titus, and Thessalonians are all there, So, if you find one, you're in the right area. So, Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Like you to look with me, if you would, at verses. Oh boy, I don't want to be too long, but I, okay. Verse two through through nine. I'm going to read through it quick. We ought always Second Thessalonians one verse two, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged in the love of each one of you towards one another grows ever greater therefore we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you have endured verse (coughs) 5 excuse me this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering For after all, it is only just for God to repay with afflictions those who afflict you and give relief to you who is afflicted and to you and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire. Now, this is the point. This is what I want you to see. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God. I want you to see there's two groups here. Those that do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you dig down in the language a little bit, it is clear that there are two groups being referenced. Those who do not know God, and those who know the Word of God, but don't obey it. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is not bliss for your neighbor, for your co-worker. Ignorance is not bliss for the people in our lives who do not know God. Ignorance is also not bliss for those who have prayed some prayer somewhere in their past and they do not obey the gospel of God. And guess who God lays the responsibility on to help them in their journey? Amen. You are commissioned. Who said us? I'm going to bless you. Yes! You're commissioned. You already have been. It's nothing new. You sisters as well. That's why we're ambassadors for truth. We're ambassadors for God. Do you know that you do not know God? And we're living in such an age... Anyway, oh, I can't keep going. We need to realize that it is very important. Very important. There is no bliss for those who do not know who to believe in. And there will be no bliss for those who do not obey what they say they believe in. Now, that said... I'm not preaching hellfire and brimstone. There is a loving father calling us by name. A loving father calling us by name. When we talk about this right here, I remember I did this exercise at Fairview, uh, Jay Fox's church, when we were doing something up there, and and, uh, there was a a sister, we had a question and answer time, and a sister had said, homosexuality, I I know, but but how do we relate to these other things? I want to just tell you a little story. Just a little bit. Well, let me just say this first. Uh, Dave, I believe you had read from, it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Neither of this, nor that, nor that, nor that shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Homosexuality being one of them. There are certain things that when we commit it, it breaks the ship of our faith in half and we immediately sink. But there are other things that are quarter-sized holes in the size of our ship. And when we don't repent of them, they will continue to grow. And, you know, a quarter-sized hole will sink a ship. It just takes longer to get there. There's a lot of biblical uh, examples of that. And Romans 1 and 2 is a, is a really good one there. When we don't repent of gossip, when we don't repent of backbiting, when we don't pre- repent of whatever it might be, those quarter-sized holes, you know, we think it's not as big a deal. It's not as big a deal. And the whole time we're like, I don't know why I'm not advancing spiritually. Glug, 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 glug. Eventually it will take us down. Because the Lord will come back and He will deal out retribution to those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Repentance is a gift from God to keep our ship of faith afloat. Amen? I like that whole idea of uh, grudges. Aren't you young people having a lunch? Are you going to have scrambled eggs today? I wondered. And I saw that. I want to challenge you today. The question is, the question I have, do you believe and practice what you do today because of personal conviction based on a study of God's Word? Or are you just religious? Statistically, and we're not statistics, according to the National Atheistic Evangelistic Society, it exists. They tell us 97% of us, all Christians, we're the us, really don't believe or have conviction for what we practice. And then they give tips on how to come alongside and build doubt on the things that we only believe based on prejudice that we've learned from some source other than direct conviction. There was a group after World War II that went to Japan to set up a mission. A mission board set them there. It was in northern Japan. One of the struggles, it was after World War II. And after, after they were, you know, beginning to set up a church and do all this type of stuff, it was an Anabaptist group. And, uh, one of the things they kept bringing back to the board, they said, one thing that is so countercultural is that we cannot get the women to veil. It is so countercultural. And they said, well, continue to be faithful. Continue to teach God's Word. They kept coming back and saying, the idea of the veil, it's just not going to fly. It's not part of their culture. And so, the amazing thing is that a little bit after they started this mission in the southern part of Japan, the Seventh-day Adventists also had an outreach down there. And one of the things that the Seventh-day Adventists teach is that they should not drink caffeine or have caffeine in any form. Boy, wouldn't that put us all in a pinch. And And they said, therefore, you can have no tea. But they were being successful. Have you ever been to a Chinese restaurant or Japanese restaurant? What's the very first thing they set in front of you? Tea. That's not cultural either to tell them no tea. But they were having success. Do you know why? Because the Mennonites in the northern part of Japan didn't have a conviction for what they were asking. Not only did the women not veil, then now in current times, the women who are there as missionaries also don't veil. We cannot influence the culture in any way for things we have no conviction for. We would never say, because we're educated enough in the culture of who we are, to say, my church says. But our actions say that. Brothers and sisters, what do we believe? Why do we believe it? we have not we God has not called us just to stand on the peace with the evangelicals and say accept jesus he has called us to teach everyone to obey all that he's commanded with his heart and that means the veil that means modesty that means separation from the world that means being careful in how we walk we grow in those areas it's not trying to get as close to trendiness or as close to these things as we can but we don't need to have leaders putting up the boundaries we need revival! Maybe it's just me this morning. I, hey. We need revival and we need to preach revival. We need to preach this heartbeat of God calling His children to a place of renewed strength, wisdom, desire. I love the passage there in Joshua. You know, he was so flustered. And he got to a point and he said, he said I don't, you, you're going to have to go serve the gods of your fathers or the gods of the people in the lands who we dwell. He says, but as for me and my house, We will serve the Lord. Men, I'm going to challenge you this morning. That's what you need to say. You need to say, I don't care what John teaches. And of course, I mean, I'm expecting he's teaching truth. It doesn't matter what Brian is sharing. As for me and my house, we're going to walk as carefully as we can according to this word. Oh God, give me wisdom. If God forbid we had persecution, he wiped out all the leaders, who's going to rise up to teach truth? What if everyone's wiped out but you? And and, and, And who's left in the church to say, who will teach us truth? You're like, oh, oh wow, I better get to business, I don't know, I, I, uh, they said that if we take this off, or we change this, they'll let us live, what do we do? What would you tell them? You say, oh John, John would say, Brian would say, brothers and sisters, what does Jesus say? We are to be the influencers for righteousness. When the brothers up in the pulpit are sharing in their gifts, our hearts should say, yes, amen. Yes. Oh, God, thank you for the privilege of being gathered together with people of like mind and heart. When we do not have a growing understanding of God's word and our convictions based on the Bible and biblical principles, we will base our beliefs and our practices and the changes that we're willing to make. We will base it on experience, we'll base it on opinion, we'll base it on our upbringing, we'll base it on fears, we'll base it on supernatural happenings, we'll base it on prejudices, and so on and so on. Basically, we will be practicing Anabaptist relativism. Let me just say this. When when we say, how I feel will differentiate what is right from what is not, which I am telling you this morning, I'm presenting to you, is the number one judge of righteousness, so-called. When that becomes our guide, when we practice and walk this way, we will become, I want you to hear this, this is the only thing you got to remember this morning. We will become the most influential false prophet within our own lives and possibly everybody in our influence sphere. I'm not worried about the false prophets that come through on the TV. I hope you're not watching them. I'm not worried about the false prophets that come through uh, business practice. I'm not worried about the false prophets that come through uh, in, you know, the charismatic movement. I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about you. And I believe God is as well. What is it that's coming out of your own heart? If you can't say amen, say ouch. Say something. Huh? All right, got an Amen. Sometimes it's hard to say "ouch" when you're going, right? But we need to be very aware of this truth. It's very important, brothers and sisters. We need revival. We need we need personal revival. We need family revival, congregational revival, and we need revival within the Anabaptist community. This is my heartbeat, and I believe this is God's. Well, it's a burden on my heart. We need to walk past the idols that litter the house of God. We need to walk past the idol of laziness. We need to walk past the idol of apathy. We need to walk past the idols of busyness. Past the idols of this is how we have always done it. We need to walk past the idols of this feels like truth to me. We need to walk past the idols that say this is what the bishop says is okay. We need to walk past... And I know we don't do that here necessarily. We need to walk past the idol of selfishness. We need to walk past the idols of, of entertainment. We need to walk past the idols of convenience. We need to walk past the idols of materialism. We need to walk past the idols of pride. Wait, how long is this guy going to go? We need to walk past all of the idols of independence and we need to reach for that scroll of God. We need to reach for that scroll of God and value it in our hearts. We need to be reaching for it out of a hunger and a thirst for the Lord. Revival starts... Here, but I don't know about you, but I've seen revival spurts happen, and I'm glad for them. Sometimes it's a renewal. When I say revival, I'm not talking about some big thing that we have envisioned. I'm just talking about people that humbly and lovingly follow and teach and influence our God based on who He is. That, that's that's when, when I say revival. That's really what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about tents and uh, I'm not, and all that's fine. I'm good with that too. But but. Those things are a byproduct of revival here. You can't stick a sign out front that says revival today. Revival comes in with us and where we're at in relationship to the Lord. That's revival. I want to make sure I'm clear on that because I'm not looking for an event or a work. We don't need another work to add to the pile of uh, some of our thinkings of what we're trying to earn. Because that's not what I'm talking about. But oftentimes revivals don't stick around very long on a personal level, or a family level, or congregation level, or in our community, and they won't stick around long unless there are three witnesses. And this is what I'm going to close out with. There needs to be three witnesses to show that there's going to be longevity attached to what God is doing. And these three, these three witnesses are found right there in the story of Joshua. The first witness is one that we will hear. The second witness is one that we will see. And then we will do the third witness. These are the three witnesses. I want you to turn back with me, if you would, to 2 Kings 22. Let's go back there. 2 Kings 22, and thank you for your attention as we, as we just kind of boil this down in its closing. I want to, I want us to look again at twenty-two, Second 2 Kings 22, verse 11. And then we're going to look at 13 again. We did read this already, and we're going to then go beyond this, but I, I want you to, See this. The first witness is one that we hear. And look at this. It says, When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. He tore his clothes. When was the last time you heard someone rip their heart before the Lord? Broken before God. Verse 13 tells us what... Else we will hear. He says, go and inquire of the Lord for me. One of the first signs of personal revival that's taking place is that the garments start ripping the heart and concern and inquiry and repentance become very real. Go to chapter 23 with me and let's just look at verses 1 through 3. Look at what you hear. Starting at verse one. Then the king sent, <clears throat> then the king sent, and they gathered to him all the elders of, Ju- of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord, and all the men of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him, and the priests, and the prophets, and all the people, both small and great, and he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, and to keep his commandments, And his testimonies and his statutes. Look what it says. With all his heart and with all his soul. Commitments that come with the heart and soul have an incredible amount of God-given anointing upon them. We can convince one another to do many things, but it will fall back to the earth in a very short period of time. It is better to go slow and not try to make something quickly appear a certain way so that it has longevity and depth and roots to it. It is better to sit under the word of God so it does its work as opposed to trying to respond to feel better about what we need to do. Let's let God stir us. Let's let God move us because in that place we will have a lifetime of fruit for the kingdom. It says, so it was with all of his heart and all his soul to carry out the word of the Lord, the words of this covenant that were written in this book and all the people entered into the covenant. Let it go slow. Let it be deep. But you will hear the rumblings. You will hear the rumblings. Looking now at verse four, let's look at this. The second prophet is one that you will witness, and I want to I want to just share this with you because this is where we fail. Verse four. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the uh, of the order of the second order, and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal and Ashereth and for all the host of heaven and he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. He did away with the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had appointed to burn incense in the high places in the city of Judah and in the surrounding areas of Jerusalem. Also those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon and all the constellations and all the hosts of heaven. He brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord outside Jerusalem to the brook Kidron and he burned it, uh, burned it at, at the brook Kidron and ground it to dust and threw its dust on the graves of the common people. And he broke down, The house of the male cult prostitutes who were in the house of the Lord, where the women were weaving hangings for the Ashereth. And it goes on and on and on. The second witness is always going to be the idols are coming down. The idols are coming down. Now, we don't have any of these types of idols, but I'm going to tell you something, folks. We have some of these. And there are others that we could add to this list. And I want to ask you this morning, what are those idols? And I think even more important than the idols is that as we go on, you'll see that they destroyed and killed all of the high priests. You know, if you kill an idol and you don't kill the high priest, the idols will come back. Very important that we get to the high priest. Even if you don't get to the idol, you know it will rot to the ground eventually. You know, if an idol in our life is to be accepted because we have a fear of man, we will keep erecting idols that we can serve. We have to get to the priest and we need to let God get there and whatever that means. When revival is getting momentum, we will see the idols being brought out and the priest brought out and destroyed. This is where we drop it. This is where we stop. Because the reality is is that those idols that we're talking about, only you know about them. No one's going to hold you accountable at a brother's meeting unless it's very overt. Nobody's going to share it with you, sisters when they meet with you along the way because only you know what they are in the privacy of your home. And I'm not talking about things that we would consider the sins of the world. I'm talking about the distractions of, of sensuality or hardness or whatever they may be. Until those idols start burning, revival's not staying. It's good to acknowledge and it's good to confess but beyond that we have to take it to the next level as God's spirit draws it out. A man will only bring the things that are idols in his home and the priests of his home when God is doing a work in his heart. Turn with me. Keep your finger here because we're going to come back. But turn with me if you would to Acts chapter 19. Very powerful portion of scripture. God was doing some extraordinary things, as we're going to read in Ephesus through Paul. Powerful. Why, Lord, did you do these extraordinary things in Ephesus? Acts chapter 19. I'd just like us to just take a little glimpse into verses 11 through 20, I believe. Somewhere in there. We'll see. God was performing, verse 11 extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul so that handkerchiefs and aprons were even carried from his body to where to the sick and the disease left them and the evil spirit went out. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place, these were un- ungodly men, uh, attempted to name over those who had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now you know that story. It's an amazing story. Verse 15, And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? And the, and the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of Jesus was being magnified. Many also uh, of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. Verse 19, and many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. I just want to focus on that. The word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. That means it was gaining ground. It was overcoming. It was influencing the culture around it. And I have to think, why? I'm not saying it's the only reason, but I know for sure it is part of it. They brought out of their homes the things that they should not have and in the presence of all, they burned them. When the vessel is cleaned, God uses it for greater things. When the vessel is honest and not just confessing what's in, but taking it out and saying, not only am I going to confess it, it's going to die. Right here today, brothers and sisters, it's going to die. And the priest that serves it is also going to die. Here it is. Do you know that God's word will prevail? Can you imagine what the world would think if there was revival among our Anabaptist brothers and sisters? Among us? Not just amen, amen, but stuff and things and priorities. Materialism. What would that do? It's so costly, though, it's much easier to let that go. But when we let that go, our hearts fall back to the earth right from whence they came. What is God doing in your heart this morning? What is God working in your heart? Turn back with me, if you would, to 2 Kings 23. Now I'd like us to just look at verses 21 25. remember the first witness is one that you hear the second witness which boy I haven't caught much a glimpse of that is one that we see and the last one is one that we do many times we try to skip the second witness and go to the third and then we wonder why revival does not stay that's the second thing I'm asking you to remember this morning We go right from from witness one to witness three, try to bypass witness two, and then we wonder why revival doesn't stay. Verse 21. Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in the book of the covenant. Surely such a covenant has not been celebrated from the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and of the king of Judah. But in the sixteenth year of King Josiah, this Passover was observed to the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah moved the mediums and all the spiritists and, uh, the, and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might confirm the word of the, of the law, which was written in the book of Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his might according to the law of Moses. Nor did any like him arise afterwards. Brothers and sisters, this morning, I thank you for hearing me. But I'm not concerned so much about... You're being challenged. My question to you, I just leave, let it before the Lord. What are you going to change? I was challenged. I was challenged. Now, you're going to, some of you are going to struggle this morning to know what to say to me, right? You go, oh, i got to fix something. I can't say I was challenged. What am I going to say? Let God do His work. It's okay. But don't be challenged. What do you need to change? It's not a works thing. It comes back to the issue of the heart. It's an issue of the heart. What does God want to do in your heart? What does God want to do in your heart? Lord God, we are open. I'd like to pray with you and then I'll I'll turn the service back over. Let's pray together. In fact, if you're able, let's turn and kneel together. Humble ourselves before God. I'm going to give just a moment, just a moment of silence here. Confess to the Lord What he is beginning in your heart, and then I will pray, Heavenly Father. When the earth needs rain, we know it is not a deluge that will bring forth that need, meet that need, but a slow, steady, soaking, a consistent, consistent amount of moisture over the long haul. Those, those are the ways in which you meet those needs. Father God, this morning we also realize that you're not looking to deluge by your Spirit, but to bring a slow, steady soaking. Father, longevity, sustainability, growth is what you build in your people. Precious Heavenly Father, we submit ourselves to you this morning. Father, in the areas within our hearts, those idols that we have lifted up, or sometimes I think as important, the idols that those who are around us really, really like, cause us to stop and not do what you have called us to. But, Father God, you have told us to thoroughly, thoroughly follow you, singly, completely. Precious Heavenly Father, we give our hearts to you again. Lord, we are a needy people, and you are a God who can meet that need. Father, we have lost our way, and you are a God who can help us find it. Lord, in many ways we have... Getting our, gotten our focus in the wrong things. And oh God, you are so good at drawing our attention. Precious Heavenly Father, you are for us and not against us, oh God. Father, we are a small people in the midst of a great people of this land. And you ask us to go and to bring your word to them in a way that will bring salvation. And then to disciple them in your kingdom. It just seems too great for us, oh God. And truly it is. But Father, if we will be vessels of you, you can do mightily. Lord God, we thank you for the privilege of kneeling before you. We thank you for the privilege of giving our hearts to you again. I pray for my dear brothers and sisters and myself included. Please, Lord, put a hook of the Holy Ghost in our hearts through the word and don't let us go until we have thoroughly cleared the temple. Father God, we submit ourselves to your plan and ways in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. And thank you for trusting me with your pulpit. That is a privilege.